The Big Ideas TXST podcast is brought to you by Next Is Now. For more information, visit www.txstate.edu. Hello and welcome to Big Ideas, a podcast from Texas State University. I'm your host, Dan Seed, from the School of Journalism and Mass Communication. On this month's episode, we are joined by Dr. Andrew Ojeda, an associate professor from the Department of Finance and Economics in the McCoy College of Business. Dr. Ojeda's teaching and research interests are in macroeconomics and international economics, among other fields. He is joining us on this episode to discuss the impact of the sanctions put on Russia by Western nations, including the United States, following that country's invasion of Ukraine. Dr. Ojeda, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you. Good to be here. So tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and, and how you uh, ended up in this field and, and studying these topics that you do. I come from a developing nation. So uh, I started majoring in economics when I was a little kid, you know, from high school through my uh, entire university education that is undergraduate. And then when I came to the United States for graduate program, master's and PhD, I, I continued with my economics uh, program. I, I'm kind of very interested in studying development issues. Coming from a developing country myself, I want to see how countries evolve over time in terms of how they grow and you know, the political aspects of it uh, and the international aspect of it, you know, how countries relate to each other through international trade. These are topics that topics that always fascinate me because you know uh, we live in a world which is highly globalized now. So uh, if you're talking about uh, development in a country, you, you can't you can't talk about a country in isolation with other economies. You know, you know. So so that that just are some of the things that interest me to study some of the issues, particularly what I do in my research. I normally study factors that drive uh, multinational investments to developing nations. On the one hand, and then on the other hand, I look at how those foreign direct investment flows to developing nations impact economic growth of those host nations. You know, especially when you look at it over the last 40 years, so many American companies have relocated investment to foreign countries. Uh, and it's, it's, it's really interesting to see how those foreign capital kind of contribute to the development of those economies. But some of my research also, I, I do some of my research uh, macroeconomic core research. I do like regional economic growth and analysis. I've studied a lot the impact of fiscal policy at the U.S. state level and how that impact uh, economic growth at the U.S. state level, like the decisions that the state legislatures make on, uh, you know, in, uh, changing tax policies and government spending policies, how that drives state economic growth in, in, in just that subnational level, you know. So I'm also fascinated in doing stuff like that, yeah. And so you're the perfect expert for what we're going to talk about today about the sanctions in in Russia or on Russia and the effects that that's having on our economy, along with other internal issues in our country that may be affecting our economy. But let's start with the Russia-Ukraine issue. Um, as we know, the United States, Canada, the EU, among others that have hit Russia with these multitude of economic sanctions in the last month or so following their invasion of Ukraine. So before we get into the specifics of this, tell our audience how these kind of economic sanctions can be used in a tense geopolitical situation 
to perhaps diffuse the situation? Okay, I think broadly, I just want to kind of talk about perhaps maybe because some people might be non-economists, you know, now we could have some non-economist audience. Just as a snapshot, economic sanctions are typically trade and financial penalties that are applied by one or more countries against a targeted self-government state group or uh, individuals, you know, in an economy. Uh, so, and the economy, they, they are not necessarily imposed because of uh, some economic circumstances, because we have seen countries import, can impose the trading embargo, trading sanction if one country is cheating in international trade, you know what I mean? Uh, sanctions could be imposed due to political, military, and social issues, especially what we're talking about here in terms of uh, the Russia-Ukrainian conflict that has prompted the United States and its allies to impose a series of sanctions. It, it really depends on what type of economy you're talking about here, because we have a lot of rogue regimes around the world, you know, including you know, countries that are run by dictators, right? So typically when there's a political turmoil uh, in economy, in a, in a country like what we are witnessing now, Russia invaded Ukraine. And when you go back to history too, like uh, you, you know, other sanctions, I remember in the 90s, early 90s, when Iraq went and attacked Kuwait, right? So right. that prompted uh, Western nations, including the United Nations, to impose sanctions on, uh, on Iraq. But it really depends on the trajectory of leadership of the country, because sometimes despots or dictators around the world, they always look at balancing their re remaining power versus how sanction would impact their economy. You know, but if you, would, you would hope that if a, a dictator is highly benevolent, where they care a lot about the welfare of their citizens, perhaps maybe sanctions could actually deter a lot of their activities. But sometimes that's not the case. And that's what we're seeing here in, in Russia. You know, they, you know, to strong men are strong men. They want to show their strength, you know, that they can fight. But in, in, in a normal circumstance, you'd ex you know, where you're applying some kind of rationality, you'd expect someone to, to know the impact of that sanction on uh, the welfare of their domestic residents. And that's definitely an area that I want to explore more about how Putin has responded to this. And we can get to that in a minute here. But so far, we've seen this major effect on the Russian economy. Almost immediately after the sanctions were imposed, we saw the crash of the ruble. The Russian banking sector became a mess. Overall, what's been the financial impact in Russia? How devastating overall have the sanctions been? And what's the, the outlook for their economy long term? Even though this has only happened over the last month, I'm sure that this will have a longer term effect. That's a wonderful uh, observation. Uh, so we, we have seen so far a lot of uh, debilitating effects of this sanction already. When you compare it to the previous sanction that we imposed on Russia, uh, like in going back to 2014 when they, when they are next uh, Crimea, this has been one of the most severe sanctions that we have seen so far. We have seen, as you have said, the ruble has already crashed. You know, the, the Russian Central Bank you know, and the government itself, they have started to like limit uh, do some capital controls. They are trying to prevent people from moving capital out of Russia, you know, Russians moving money out of Russia. So uh, when you look at what they have done so far, they have actually tried to stabilize the value of the rubles last week. You know, when you look, the ruble was, was on a free fall, but some kind of its value kind of stabilized mm -hmm. uh, by Friday of last week. Um, I've not seen the numbers uh, for, for this week. But the most important thing that you got to know is that Russia imports a lot of 
products from uh, Western nations. Okay, in fact, the top five Russian exports, uh, so imports from from other countries include, include things like appliances, electronic. Uh, they import a lot of transportation material, you know, computers and and chips, you know, semiconductors and stuff like that. So those have already been shut down by, by sanction because you realize that it's not only the US and the EU imposing these sanctions. Taiwan has joined. Taiwan is one of the largest uh, semiconductor producers in the world, by the way. And they have, they have announced sanction against Russia that they're gonna restrict exports of those chips, computer chips to, to Russia. So the goal here is basically we want to, the impact to be felt in the, in the Russian military yeah, build up, you know, equipment and stuff like that because they need these semiconductors for their production of right. hardware. But the other thing that we have seen so far is that, you know, inflation has started spiking up in Russia because they cannot get raw material goods very well. So that means inflation is spiking. So the ordinary citizens, the ordinary Russians, they're already feeling the pain from this. You don't stop there too. You know, Russia also plays a significant role. They also export uh, some key material to the rest of the world, mostly oil and gas. Uh, but they are also they are also heavily involved in the export of some some commodities like wheat, metals like aluminum and nickel, right? So those are some of the key commodities that could actually impact the world as a whole. You know what I mean? Like I was reading a, a Wall Street Journal article two days ago. They're saying that the price of wheat in Indonesia has gone up 1,000%. Mm -hmm. Can you believe that? Just over this last month when uh, Russia attacked Ukraine. So you, you, you would expect this, the impact of this sanction not only to affect Russia, but it could also affect us, the imposing countries. Yeah, so it's, it's not a one-way traffic. Right, and we've seen that with the price of nickel in the last few weeks, some really large jumps in the price of nickel, which is one of those key components that, that you're talking about. And you mentioned oil. And again, we can get into this a little bit now if, if you want in terms of how this is affecting us here. We've seen that in the last few weeks with gas prices here going up. But the United States and Great Britain, they've already targeted Russian oil for sanctions, but it's really become a hot button issue in the EU for the simple fact that the EU receives a, a large portion of their oil and gas from Russia. So what's the challenge for the EU as they stare down the possibility of additional sanctions on Russian oil and gas for their countries going forward? Yeah, I think that's a major challenge. In the short run, uh, it's not going to be possible for the EU to start turning to other alternative sources of energy or maybe getting news, uh, maybe start to import oil and gas from other countries. Uh, I've heard some people are talking about, you know, the EU, some of the EU countries are trying to approach some of the African countries that have recently discovered oil to, to see how they can collaborate with some of those African countries to import oil from them. You know, in the short term, it's going to be a challenge because some countries have heavy reliance on Russian oil and gas, up to like 100%, <laughs> you know. And this is a challenge. Think about if... Vladimir Putin has been, you know, he's like, he looks like he has his back on the wall. He could do something crazy. He could, he could, if he turns off the gas supply, for instance, to some of those European countries, you know, in the middle of winter, this can be something very serious here. The United States, you know, we now produce a lot of oil, you know, maybe more than any other country. I've had the, the Biden administration, President Biden just traveled there to meet with the NATO and other allied countries. Uh, they are talking about, ways of finding new sources of 
the oil, oil and gas for the EU countries. You know, even even the United States can export some of this uh, gas to the to, to Europe and maybe finding sources from some other Eastern European countries, uh, including even Ukraine, because Ukraine has got a large deposit of, of natural gas and oil itself. Some of them are, are still untapped. In, but in the short run, it's not going to be easy because if, when you talk about oil and gas, these are things that take time for you to find, start finding new sources of those and maybe finding new uh, market where you can import them from. So in the short run, it's going to be a challenge. And I don't know how, how much Europe will have to endure from rising gasoline prices because of this sanction, uh, you know, because it, it depends on how their residents are getting impacted too. Uh, they, they may start putting pressure on their government to start relaxing some of the sanctions, the sanctions you know, in the, near, in the medium term here. It's something that you touched on in your answer there and that you touched on earlier and that I think is important here is the idea that it seems like Putin's back is against the wall, observing this, right? Mm-hmm. But yet he continues to stare down the West. They put sanctions on him personally. They put sanctions on on Russian oligarchs. We saw uh, Roman Abramovich having to sell the Chelsea Football Club. As a result of this, they're going after their money. They're going after yachts. They're going after all of this stuff. Yet, on the day that we're recording this, The Russian foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, took aim at these sanctions, the ones on the economy, the personal ones that have been placed on on Russian leaders. And he said, and I'm quoting here, he declared, quote, that the West has declared total war, end quote, on Russia. So I guess my question is, where does this go? If we're putting these economic sanctions on on them personally and on their country, and the Russians just keep looking at us and saying, your move, this is total war, what's the next step here, logically, economically, before maybe the next worst step? Uh, The way I feel about this, I'm thinking, uh, you know, we have studied the the issue of a major economic financial crisis around the world, uh, including recent, like the, the Mexican peso price of 1994, uh, the, the, the East Asian crisis of 1997-98. This particular crisis in Russia, the, the extent to which these sanctions have been imposed on Russia, to me, all forms of economic financial crisis are evolving almost simultaneously, something that we have never seen before as economists. Because typically when a financial crisis crops up in a country, like here in the United States, we have all, all forms of financial crisis in America have been some kind of banking crisis where banks fail. We have never had a currency crisis where the dollar crash, or we have neither we had a debt crisis where our government defaults uh, on its debt, even though our debt is quite high. I'm actually beginning to see that not only do we see the, the Russian ruble crashing, uh, we're also seeing that banks in Russia cannot make international payments, you know, and their balance sheets are going to get wiped out over time with inflation, all that kind of stuff. And then, and so, so they may experience banking crisis, currency crisis, and the government may default because the United States has frozen all their dollar-denominated reserves. You know, they cannot make payments in dollars, you know, over, over the next, over the near term. So the Russian, Russian government may default and that can trigger a serious debt crisis. So when you have three forms of financial crisis evolving simultaneously, that's a much more dangerous situation here. We have seen in the past in other countries, they tend to evolve sequentially. 
then you know you start you start you know especially in a developing country then you can start with a banking crisis that might lead to a currency crisis or it could lead to a debt crisis but for russia there are these things are actually happening simultaneously before our own eyes so the challenge facing vladimir putin and his government even what uh, lavrov is talking about the russian foreign minister they need to have because eventually I, I feel like russia will fight two wars if they continue fighting ukraine and this crisis continues they have to fight another war at home because as more and more russian citizens uh, start to feel the pain from this crisis like in terms of higher food prices higher pr- price of everything and they cannot buy so many goods because we have basically put a freeze on that they can they can trade with many of the other European nations or other countries that, that have joined, joined in. I think then you're going to see a lot of massive protests that you have never seen before if this thing continues. So, we, so the, the government in Russia has to now fight two wars. They need to tame down on domestic protests uh, versus uh, you know, international crisis that they have self-created here. Yeah, and I suppose just as an outside observer looking at this, that's what the scariest thing is to see what Putin's next move is in relation to what it is that you're talking about fighting a two-front battle, one on the battlefield in Ukraine and, and then at home, because we've seen the Russian government throughout this. There have been massive protests in Moscow, St. Petersburg, where they're, they're just going out and cracking down on the protesters and arresting these folks. We saw the there was a news producer who showed up on state television with a sign protesting against the war. Um, And she was removed. A Russian newspaper in Moscow today printed a satirical, sarcastic headline saying, nothing is happening. Walk on by. A special operation is underway. No one is growing poor. The economy is growing, right? So it's like the Russian people, as you've said, are feeling this, but yet Putin, the folks in the Duma, just blinders on, and they are going to ignore this, which makes this a really dangerous global situation. It's going to be, and, and, and going back to what Lavrov was talking about, we have never seen the scale of sanction imposed on the oligarchs before, you know. You know, keep in mind that when the Soviet Union, uh, the USSR collapsed in 1991, Russia li- tried to liber- liberalize its economy. So most of the, the Russian, the state-owned banks, you know, natural resources and, and factories that were run by government, were basically purchased using corrupt deals by some of the you know the, the few connected individuals in the Russian government. We call them the what the oligarchs. In the way the word oligarch in Russia basically means extremely wealthy individuals who are tied to Vladimir Putin, right? But we know you know from oligarch oligarch is basically the idea that you know a government which is going to be run by very few wealthy individuals through the purpose of corruption. So by targeting these oligarchs, I think the uh, I think the West have you know these people have I think significant influence over Vladimir Putin. Even Putin himself, nobody knows where he hides his wealth. Some people have speculated that maybe uh, some of his wealth he hides some of his wealth through these oligarchs and you know, these billionaires. So by targeting their wealth, freezing their assets, that could actually impact Putin directly. And, and at some point, he's going to start hurting. And before we move into the U.S. economy and how this is affecting things here, I want to remind our listeners that we are talking with Dr. Andrew Ojede from Texas State University, from the McCoy College of Business, discussing economic sanctions on Ukraine, obviously a, a big issue now. I 
hate to use this term because Putin or his government have thrown this around a nuclear option, but economically, what is the nuclear option for the West considering all they've done to this point hasn't moved the dial for what Putin is continuing to do? Is it kicking them out of the G20? Is it something beyond that? What, what's the next step, do you think? I, I don't think we have a lot of options left now, you know what I mean? Because we have done a lot already in terms of this. These sanctions are a lot when you think about it. I was, I was trying to go through a list of what we have done so far, the list of sanctions that are, have been imposed on, on, on Russia. Maybe I can, you know, for it, for it, one of them include things that we have sanctioned the, the Russian Central Bank. That is significant. The Russian Central Bank has about $640 billion in what? In international reserves. Okay, uh, so we have done that. And then we have also sanctioned, we have removed major Russian banks from the SWIFT system, you know, which is this international messaging system for uh, executing international payments. It's a, it's a Belgian-run system. So they cannot make, so that's a, that has slowed down the way Russian banks make payments, international payments. So that is hurting. Don't forget that, that is hurting. And then the other thing that which I think was also significant was the Biden administration trying to cut off supplies of computers, semiconductor chips to Russia and Taiwan and other countries joining in. So, you know, so these sanctions are, we have not seen them imposed before in any, you know, I've not seen them in modern times, <laughs> such the scale of such, a, such sanctions imposed on any country. And I think going forward, the only thing that remains now is targeting the Russian oil and gas. But as we said before, that might not be very good for countries in Europe because in the short run, they cannot, because that's now the only lifeline, I think, right. for Russia. They're still make, getting a lot of money through uh, oil exports, oil and gas exports to Europe. If you cut off that lifeline for them, then you're also cutting the lifeline for many European countries. So I don't think we're going to do that for now, the, the only thing that might happen is that in the long term, this might influence uh, affect Russia significantly because many countries in Europe have now realized that they need to develop their alternative sources of energy. They need to move away from being de solely dependent on Russian oil and gas. They have seen the dangers of that heavy dependence. Germany just announced that by the end of this year, going to 2023, they're going to be able to cut their imports of Russian oil and gas by up to 67%. So a lot of countries are, are joining up, you know, be, be trying to believe that they can actually do this. So in the short term, it can be bad for them because of higher inflationary pressures due to higher gasoline prices in Europe. But long term, this could actually significantly debilitate the Russian economy if they can export their oil and gas to, to a lot of them to Europe as they develop their, their own sources of energy. And of course, here in our own country, we've already been dealing with economic issues. We're talking about inflation marks not seen in 40 years, the Fed raising interest rates, price of gas, price of food. All of that stuff is going up, the things that the average person deals with on a daily basis. But one thing that the average person may not know about, and I want to get your thoughts on this, is something that can point to a future recession, and that's something called the yield curve. What is that, and what has happened to it? The yield curve basically is a relationship between bonds of different maturities, right, and the time remaining and their maturity date. So basically, the way we relate 
short-term bond interest rates to long-term bond interest rates, right? So the idea here is that when there's higher inflation expectations that we already been seeing, even from the close of last year, the Federal Reserve always tries to, what, to, to tame that inflationary expectations down by raising the federal funds rate, which is the short-term interest rate that the Federal Reserve targets. And when that happens, it drives up the short-term bond interest rate to a very high level. The short-term bond interest rates could actually rise above the long-term rates. That could make the yield curve invited. And that's a clear sign that the recession is, is probably in plain sight. But going back to what, I, what I'm talking about, on March 10th, 2022, the Bureau of Labor Statistics released its February report on the consumer price index for all urban consumers in the United States. So this widely followed measure of inflation rose by 0.8% of February, uh, which is equivalent to a compound rate of 10%, when you think about it, annual rate of 10%. But over the past 12 months, you know, the consumer price index rose by 7.9%. This is, that's a lot, up from a figure of 7.5% recorded in January. Right. This is the largest yearly surge in prices since uh, January of 1982. Most of it is being driven by rising gasoline prices. In fact, for the month of February, even before Russia attacked Ukraine, uh, gasoline prices in the United States went up by 6.6%. And that accounted for nearly one third of the rising consumer prices in the United States alone. And then when Russia went in, as of March 14, which is nearly about a week and a half ago, the average price of regular gasoline in the United States was up 24%, just between February 24th, when Russia first invaded Ukraine, and March 14. Can you believe that? So this is going to have at all a lot of impact on, on, on Americans too. The University of Michigan consumer sentiment index. They, they basically send these surveys to Americans to find out how their cost of living is. They reported their index was the lowest since March of 2020, the lowest in, in the last 10 years. You know, and a key driver was falling real income. Most Americans are now feeling the pain. They're saying that they see their real income going down because of higher gasoline prices and food prices going up. Everything is going up. As we know, uh, America is still a very strong economy. You know? You know, the fundamentals for, the, for economic growth are still quite strong. But what I fear as an economist is that most of these problems we're facing are more are coming from commodity prices going up, the supply side effect. That might be a lot difficult even for the Fed to deal with because typically when inflation is driven by the demand side of the economy, by Americans spending too much money, that is a lot easier to tame with policy. Uh, when that inflationary expectation is being driven from supply side of the economy, what we, we call stagflation, that where you could end up with a situation where prices are rising and then output would be falling because the Fed would try very hard to, to raise interest rate. That could lead to a recession as well. So that could be very dangerous. And yet, policy may not actually slow that inflation as it would which we would do when the inflation was demand-driven. And in fact, something happened during the last quarter of 2021, something interesting, that because Americans received all those COVID money, you know, but we were in lockdown. We did not spend all the COVID bail bailout funds that the government gave us. So the last quarter of 2021, the holidays, last holiday season, is like we let everybody out. <laughs> you know, right, so everybody wanted to get guys, out. So, so, so people went and spent a lot of those COVID money in fact, when you look at it, durable goods, the demand for durable goods went up 
And this is just this is something that we have never seen during any typical oil series. Most times people demand services and other types of goods. And this has also affected the businesses in America to recalibrate their production to appeal to the rising demand for those goods and services. And yet we were having these supply constraints. They are not getting raw material goods on time. And that has been contributing to this rise in inflation. You know, we are poured, you know, we are Russia has poured basically gasoline on, <laughs> on fire. Yeah, we, we already had inflation expectations going up. You know, now this is adding to the uh, to the mess that we have that we're having here. So it, it, it's, it's a risk for the United States going forward, for sure. It's like we are back in the 1970s during Jimmy Carter era when we when we had the organization of petroleum exporting countries basically raise the price of gasoline by about 65%. They cut the global supply of oil and oil prices went up like 65%. And I believe that in the mid 70s, going to the late 70s, inflation in America got out of control. So we, we had a lot of that stagflation and depression in America, both falling output and rising prices happening at the same time. That might be a lot difficult to deal with using policy. The president even warned of that the other day, food shortages, buckle down, get ready, because uh, as you mentioned, right, we already have this situation and now Russia appears ready to throw gasoline, as you said, on, on the situation. So we'll have to see how that plays out. But Dr. Andrew Ojede, thank you so much for joining us today on our episode. This has been a fascinating discussion. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it to be here. Thank you very much. And thank you all for listening to Big Ideas. We'll be back next month. And until then, stay well, stay informed, and we'll talk to you then. Big Ideas TXST is a presentation of Texas State University and the Division of University Advancement. Subscribe to experience more innovative, thought-provoking content. If you like what you hear, consider leaving us a starred review, five if possible. The views expressed during this program are those of the individual participants and do not necessarily represent those of the university. Big Ideas is hosted by Daniel Seed, produced by Jamie Bloschke. Strategic consultant is Kelly Raz.